A reading from 2 Timothy, beginning with verse 14 of chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, Always be sober. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry fully. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So just kind of give you a little quick recap. A couple weeks ago, Paul introduced us to the good treasure that's been deposited in us. Do you remember that, what, what that was? It's what sets us free from being like that horse, right? He don't know he can drag that chair off, remember? That picture is emblematic of people who don't know that Jesus has defeated sin because Paul says the good treasure is that Jesus died and was raised. He said the good treasure is that Jesus Christ has abolished death. That's a testimony that has been deposited in you. Not a testimony about how somebody can overcome whatever behavior they're struggling with, but the root of all bad behaviors is death. Either their fear of it or that we might waste time by not getting what we want. Well, Jesus has abolished that need. By dying and being raised, death is done. We're no longer like this horse. We're not chained to sin and death. We're set free. Likewise, the rest of the world can be set free. Paul says this is a good treasure in you. And he says to guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Not something we have to do alone. It's not something we have to do alone. To tell people that Jesus has abolished death is a community act. It's what we as the church do together. Churches that depend on the pastor to do that die. And so do pastors who depend on the church to do that. They become ineffective. We do it together. Together we walk out into the world. We prepare ourselves to walk out into the world and announce the good news that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. All of it, good news. We are charged with that treasure to share it. And so Paul says, remember then, not some vague idea, not some person who used to be, not some person who died and no longer is, but he says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. 
For the early church, that was a hard thing to forget. But these days, there are those in the church who would say that Jesus was not really bodily raised. That the church, they just had a, they had a, a common delusion that held together and it affirmed for them that God was continuing to work through them. That's poppycock. The scripture says plainly that it was Jesus' body that appeared before them. He said to Thomas, throw your hand in my side. Touch my wounds and see that it is I. Remember? Jesus raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Why is that important? Because the Messiah is a descendant of David. The one who will sit on the throne of David forever, God said. I will give it to one of your sons. Jesus is the one. Raised from the dead, beyond death, the good king, the good shepherd. That is the gospel, Paul says, for which I suffer hardship. Remember, he's in jail when he's writing this little encouragement to us. He's in jail. That, he says, is why I suffer hardship, because he preached Jesus raised. If you haven't read the book of Acts, you should read it, because the whole theme of Paul's life is he's preaching Jesus raised and getting either stoned half to death. One time they drug him outside of the city and left him for dead. That's where that saying comes from. They left him for dead. That's what they did to Paul. Laid him down outside the city and said, Rot, good riddance. But Paul got up and went back into the city. Why? Because he knew what he was suffering for. That what he was suffering for was more important than the suffering itself. How easily Christians give up today when the media don't support our decision or when a politician threatens to tax the church. I say let them tax it. Do we think that we'll stop giving? Do we give for a tax break or do we give so that the Word of God continues to be preached in our communities? Why do we do what we do? Do we lay ourselves down on Monday morning here in a pew to hear from God solely for our own sake or is it for the rest of the world? Let them tax the church. We'll pay it along with everybody else and the mission of Jesus Christ will continue because it's not about massing wealth in buildings. It's about telling people that Jesus is raised from the dead. Is that true, church? Are we here for the red carpet? No. Are we here for the pretty stained glass? No. If the building burned down, we would still be the church, would we not? Let them threaten what they want to threaten. I don't care. The church is more powerful than a politician's threat. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in the church. What Paul say? You've not been given a spirit of fear and cowardice. You've been given a spirit of power. Oh, dear ones. Every time they threaten... It just means that the work of Christ can be stronger. Churches have been more effective when the church is persecuted throughout history. They call you a dunderhead or an idiot for believing Jesus? Say thank you. Do you know what cracks me up is when somebody tells me, how can you believe all that crazy mythology and not, you know, two days later they were telling me what their horoscope said? problem is that they don't want to hear that there's judgment. People don't want to hear today that there will be judgment for sin, but the church knows that there will. But we also know that the one who will judge us is the one who died for us. Which means that judgment becomes an act of mercy. But we're afraid. Oh, don't say anything. Don't dare speak your truth. That, that phrase drives me insane. We don't have an our truth. We have the truth and His name is Jesus. 
We are not serving our version of the truth. We are serving from the one who was raised from the dead to vindicate what He said, to prove to the people that He was who He said He was. And if He's the Son of God, then we dang well better listen to Him and not the world. Paul says, I suffer for what I preach, that Jesus was raised from the dead, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But you know what the good news is? The Word of God is not chained. That Word dwells in you. It's the Logos. It's Jesus who lives in you. Jesus is the testimony that you've been given. He dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. The Logos, the thing that holds everything together, has come to dwell in little old you. Out here a speck of dust in the universe. For what purpose? To make you happy and rich like the TV preachers say? No, so that you can be enchained to the gospel. So you can be a slave to Christ and go out and speak His word in His name and His love and His mercy. And the promises of God remain. There is eternal life. There is hope. There is freedom from sin. There is freedom from death. So remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he says. And do what? Continue. Don't give up the fight. I wanted to look for it and put it in here and I forgot. Because I kind of like this whole putting pictures on the th wall thing. But you've probably seen it before. That t-shirt that has a white egret on it. And he's got a bullfrog in his mouth. And the bullfrog's front legs are wrapped around the egret's throat. And it says, don't give up. Make no mistake, the time will come when the world will try to swallow the church. And say to the church, unless you get on board with our agenda and our way of thinking, you cannot be protected. When a politician threatens the church with taking away its tax-exempt status, that's what he's threatening it with. You will either see the world as I do, or you will be punished. I'm sure he has a particular issue in mind, but barring the issue... That spirit is alive in the world. That's why you had a Ron Reagan commercial after the debate the other night that had nothing to do with the Democratic Party at all, just Ron Reagan making sure we knew he was an atheist and that we could be free from religion and the oppression it creates, right? How many people who have truly put their faith in Jesus Christ could ever see Christianity as a oppression? It's not my experience. Is it yours? Do you feel oppressed, church, or do you feel freed? I feel freed. I feel free from the burden of my sin and the guilt of it. But Paul says in those days they will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, Implacable, which means you will not be able to quench their anger. Slanderers, profligates, wasteful people. Brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding on to the outward form of religion, the outward form of godliness, but denying its power. Dear ones, your faith has power. What we do together has power. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, in his last years wrote these words, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. 
But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power, and that this will undoubtedly be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out, which was to tell people about Christ raised from the dead. The same message that Paul had, the same testimony that he said lives in us, has lived in our people since our beginning to share the good news that Christ has been raised from the dead and what that means for all of us. It's Wesley's way of saying, don't run away from the ball. You guys know why Cinderella didn't make the soccer team? She kept running away from the ball. I can remember trying to teach my nephew how to throw a baseball. Or hit a baseball. I can't. Well, we were we were playing catch. I knocked his teeth out. It was bad. And then I, you know, after I knocked his teeth out, I, I wanted to make an excuse. You got to keep your eye on the ball. Well, you know, well, he put his teeth on it. I guess he was thinking, you know, catch the thing. But listen, the Cinderella story doesn't it have something to speak to us about this? She she couldn't make the soccer team because she kept running away from the ball. Well, why did she run away from the ball? Because she was afraid everyone might see her for what she really is. She was afraid people would see past the myth. We need to drop our myths and stop acting like we're people that other people should emulate. Emulate our behavior. No, emulate our faith. Emulate who we follow. That's our true message. Don't follow me because I'm perfect. Follow me because the one I follow is perfect. Make sense? And so people want to point out all the horrible faults of the church. I was at a poetry reading one time, and this girl was reading a poem about how she puts $100 in the plate, but when she needs help, her church won't help her. So when it was my turn to read, I told her, call me, my church will help you. That's how we make a witness. Not by taking the ball and going home. Not by saying, no, we're not going to play anymore because it's costing us too much but to keep on keeping on, to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue. Paul says, but as for you. Mm. Right before that, he said these words, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say you might be persecuted. He said he w- you will be in some way. Whether it's the loss of friends, the loss of income, The loss of savings, the loss of living for yourself, the loss of your own opinion. Because honestly, the glory of Christ is more important than whether or not we're right. There will be loss in following Christ because it means we can't serve ourselves. We cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. Either we will love the one and hate the other, we will hate the one and love the other. You can't serve yourself and Christ. We can't serve protecting our own interests and Christ. We can't be afraid that other people would know who we really are and serve Christ. If we are hiding our faith, we might want to ask ourselves if our faith is real. If we're not living as Christians, if we're not loving people and doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, we might want to ask what gospel it is that we really believe. Is it our best life now gospel or the real gospel that Jesus calls us to lay our lives down for others? Which is it? Is it a Walmart book faith or biblical faith? 
Biblical faith calls us to suffer and not serve ourselves first. And Paul is telling young Timothy, don't give up. If you are faithful to Christ, you will be persecuted in some way. But he goes on to say, but wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, he says, to Timothy and to us today, as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. That's why we sing today, for I know who I have believed, that He is willing and able. And He will keep me in that day. If we trust Christ to save us from sin and death, surely we can trust Christ to save us from a boss who thinks our faith is ridiculous. He says to him, continue. Continue in how from childhood you've known the Scriptures. That all of it is inspired by God. That means it's breathed into us. In the same way that God breathed the breath of life into Adam. In the same way that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples at the end of John's Gospel. God continues to breathe into the Word and the words of the preacher and the words of the church and all of those people who would speak Christ's name in a positive and truthful way. That becomes a kind of Word of God in the community. That the message of God cannot be silenced. It's not in chains. It doesn't have anything to do with taking this book and beating people to death with it. It has to do with being the teachings in this book. It has to do with being the embodiment of giving yourselves for others. It has to do with being the embodiment of doing to someone as you would have them do to you. It means that it's alive in us. And that because of that, it's useful for us to teach and rebuke and build up and encourage people to see them go toward Christ, to see them come to the cross instead of run away from it as if it's foolishness. And so Paul continues, "...in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I solemnly urge you, continue." How do we continue? What does it look like for the church to press on into an age that has become less and less church-friendly? Because Christianity is declining rapidly in America. We may have been founded on Christian principles, but our life together is no longer based on those. Our people are turning away from Christ. Will we go as well? It reminds me of a time when Jesus was teaching something to His disciples and they said, it's too hard, it's too hard, and some of them left. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, will, will you leave too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. So dear ones, as more and more of our neighbors and fellow citizens turn away from Christ, what will be our response? Will we turn away so that we don't look like silly little people clinging to our God and our guns? Or will we cling to God? Because God is truth. It's a pretty clear option in front of us. People are concerned about it. Every time I turn around, a pastor's sharing another Facebook article about the great decline of the church, and I wonder, what are you doing about it? Are you making a determined decision to go on and continue? Are we in touch with the idea that every last one of us is invested with a message that can change someone else's life in a radical way that we cannot explain? 
that every last one of us has living in us the testimony that Christ is raised from the dead and that that word can give them new birth and new life and separate them from sin and death. Is that more important than our shame? So Paul says to continue, and this is what it looks like. Proclaim the message. Christ Jesus has abolished death. Proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether in season or out of season, I think the King James said. Whether in season or out of season. Whether the time is right or bad. Whether it's a good time or a bad time. Tell them anyway. Proclaim the message. It's invested in you. It's been placed in you as a deposit. Not for you to hold on to, but for you to share. For you to pass on to others. Invest the message, he says. Give it to somebody. Proclaim it. Share it. Open your mouth. Proclaim the message. Whether in season or out. Whether it's favorable or unfavorable, he says, but convince people. Rebuke people. That doesn't mean to tell them they're horrible or bad or anything like that. It just means to show them that what you're following after is not truth. Encourage, he says, with the utmost patience in teaching. So in this letter to a young pastor, Paul has told him there's a good treasure in you. A witness that you have heard through the Scriptures and through the witness of your grandmother and your mother that Christ is alive. That though He was dead, Christ is alive and now death is dead. Death has been abolished. We no longer need be slave to sin and death. And so go and remember Christ Jesus raised from the dead so that when you face temptation, when you face persecution, you will not give in. You will not lay down. But instead, you will continue. You will continue to walk no matter how steep the hill seems and what you will do as you walk is you will proclaim the message the good news that Jesus has been raised from the dead and as you go you will teach in patience loving those whom you encounter showing them the correct way to be and encouraging them convincing rebuking and encouraging you will go through life Bearing witness to the gospel. That is the purpose of the church and none other. It's why our mission statement for this church simply says we make disciples for the transformation of the world. Paul's telling us today continue. No matter what, continue. No matter what, continue. No matter what, whether you are in chains or out of chains, the gospel is unchained. Be bold, church. Be unashamed of the good news. In another place, Paul told us that the message of the cross is foolishness for those that perish. But for those who have believed, it is the power of God. Take that power with you today and continue, continue, and continue. No matter what. In every moment of your life, seek to share the good news with someone. 
even if it just means shaking a hand and speaking peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.